glad you're here, especially if you're visiting with us. Thanks for, thanks for giving us a chance today. Um, if you're listening online, we have a lot of people listening online that haven't given us a chance physically but are doing it audibly. Um, your next step may be to come join us. It's different when you're here, um, but we are glad, however you're listening today, that you have chosen to be around, and uh, we are starting a new, uh, new sermon series this week, and um, if you're in the business world at all, this, this phrase is going to be one of those sort of catchphrases, those sort of buzzwords, um, but it really fits well with my sermon series, so I decided to use it anyway. Um, Allison, you'll, you'll really like this. This is Cook's mantra right now, and it is game changers. We are, we are I know, I knew you'd shake your head, that's why I brought it up, um, but right now, I, I really do think this is a good description of what we're talking about, and you'll see why in a minute. But we start a new series today called Game Changer. And what I believe about this is that um, if, you, if you will pay attention to this thing um, today, even if, if you're not a Christian, if you're not sure you even believe anything um, about God, or if you're kicking the tires on the Jesus thing, whatever you're doing here, um, this is a great opportunity for you to get insight into not to what this church believes necessarily, not even to what the church in the world believes, but what God wants from us. Um, and what God intends for our faith to be. And so we're going to talk about that. And I do believe that as we move through this, if you can get this internally, if you can get this in your heart, it'll change, it'll change things for your life. Um, and I'm excited about that. Over the next few weeks, we're going to dig in pretty deep. Um, and I do have a lot to say today. Um, Risha is uh, taking care of the children back there. And she told me, I said on the way here, I got to talk fast today because I got a lot to say. And she said, yeah, you better keep it short. I got the kids back there today. So... Um, <laughs> So I have the wrath of my wife if this goes too long today, so I'll keep that in mind. But um, I don't want to miss out on doing what we do every week in this place. Every Sunday here, we, um, we get you a deep breath before the sermon starts. And I don't want to move so fast this morning that we miss that, because the truth is, if, if you don't get this sort of moment of perspective, you'll miss everything I say this morning, and it won't mean anything. Because God speaks in a still, small voice. He has said that from the beginning of time. He could speak loud enough to wet your pants today if he wanted to, but he chooses to have you turn down the noise in your life so that you can hear him, because it's the best way to listen. And so, so that's what we want to do, give you a chance right now. I don't know what you brought in today. Some of you brought in some physical things that are scary. Some of you brought in some emotional things. Some of you brought in some financial situations. Some of you brought in some addictions. Some of you brought in some really good news. And if you're not careful, we'll, we'll lose perspective on all of that today and miss out on hearing from God. So we do it every week here, um, give you a chance to get a moment of quiet um, and just say this to God. And if you don't believe in God today, that's okay. He believes in you. And all you need to do is say this, um, God, if you're there, just do something in my life, in my heart today. That's all you have to do right now. And if you're a Christian, I would say don't, don't pray a Jesus prayer or a Sunday school prayer right now, one of those made-up prayers, you know, the now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayers. Don't do that. Say straight from your heart just to God, hey, I, if you're there, do something real in me today. Do something in my heart, in my life, and let me understand it today. So let's do that together. I'll give us a moment to kind of do that. If you're listening online, um, don't close your eyes if you're driving. Um, but take a moment and, and stop And then uh, I'll pray for us and we'll get started this morning. God, you know what I have to say today, and you know that it's way too important and way too big 
for me to take it lightly. God, so right in this place, I'm praying for a few things. One, I'll just start with me. Would you, would you clean me up? Because you know I have no business standing on this stage. My life is just as much a mess as anybody else's. As much as I am working at it and trying on it, I'm so thankful for the grace that comes with knowing you. Would you fill all the holes in this sermon today? What I'm about to say today, God, might be the most important thing I've said in a long time, and I'm afraid that my own life and my own mess will get in the way. So would you kill anything that would keep people from hearing this today? And in the same way, God, anything in these pews today, anything in the listeners that are online today, would you pause their lives and their hearts so they can get some perspective? Would you give them a deep breath in their life so that they can see through the mud, the fear, pain and they can get real understanding of what you want from them and how much you love them would you give that to us today and we'll listen and we'll pause in your son's name we pray amen you know what i hate hate is a strong word i know let me change it you know what i you know what i hate (laughs) i hate when people take advantage of my kids i hate when people treat my kids unfairly. I hate when people call my kids names or yell at them unjustly. I hate that. I have a hard time not hating the people that do that. I have a six-year-old son who on the outside looks like a rough and tough little guy. The truth is he is an emotional daddy's guy. He needs hugging. He needs loving. And anything you say to him, it's like you take it times 10. And if it's good, it's times 10. If it's bad, it's times 10. And there are kids at school that have said things to him, and I found myself having a really hard time not hating a five-year-old. I've had teachers that write on report cards, needs work on whatever. And my first thought is, well, yeah, you need work on whatever. I've had, I've had teachers call my son slow in reading. I've had, my, I've had friends say that my daughter has a funny tick or a way of talking. And the truth is, there's no way to make me matter than to say something or do something that involves my kids. Now, to the same token, you want to get on my good side? You can treat me like dirt. You say something good about my baby. You say something good. You do something for one of my kids. You speak life into my son. We're friends forever. You can do anything to me. Now that probably should have something to do with my sermon, but I just need to get off my chest this morning. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Maybe it's a little true. But, but here's the thing. God has made it very clear throughout history that when he sent Jesus, he did something different in the world. He said, you know what? You can do anything you want to do. You can go to church. You can be a good little human. You can make good choices. You can do this. You can do that. You can pretend. You can give money. You can do whatever you want to do. But if you treat my kids poorly, 
we got a problem. That's what God said from the very beginning. And people missed it. They, they got into this mode where they thought, what well, God, the, the most important thing for me in my life is to be right with God. And if I can be right with God, then how I treat other humans doesn't matter at all. And that's how we ended up with the worst humans in the world sometimes being religious people. Because they they've somehow felt like the way they treated other humans was separate from their relationship with God. So Jesus came and he said, things have changed. I came to make a change in the world. And what I want to talk about is a game changer. And I don't know how else to say it. It's a game changer. It's a game changer for the world. It's a game changer for you personally if you can understand what I'm going to say today. And you heard me say it in my prayer this morning that I believe what I'm about to say can absolutely change your life. And not only your life, but I I think about this all the time in Paragon because we are strong family units in Paragon. I mean, the Grenier's take up a good like chunk of our church right now, you know? We are strong, strong family units all around this community. And it's a wonderful thing unless it's not. So what happens is when we get bad ideas going about God or we get bad thoughts or we get bad habits or bad things about money, they just perpetuate throughout families and then throughout communities. So I believe that not only is this message central and a game changer for you, this is central and a game changer for potentially generations to come in this community. So we see drugs. You know, this is one of the highest in Indiana, and drug use, especially meth, in, in the Morgan County area. You know that we're one of the highest in terms of free lunches in Indiana. Poverty is huge here. You know that we, we, are, we are one of the, 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 the most um, highest percentage of juvenile delinquent um, in, in jail or in, in their uh, detention centers. And the truth is that is daunting and it's scary at times and it's almost embarrassing at times. But here's the thing. We have such a tight core of families in, this, in, in our community here in Morgan County. If we can just get some ja- game changers involved, if we can just speak into our lives of the kids around us and begin to change the way people see God, it will begin to change everything. So at the beginning... We read in the Bible and we see throughout history. At the beginning, we see this, this what I'm going to call today, for lack of a better term, just this, this temple model of religion. This, this idea that in the temple model, there, there was this place where you had to go. It, before Jesus, in, in order to get right with God, in order to be okay with God, you had to sacrifice something. And you had to go someplace to a temple. You had to go to a place where there were, where there were religious people and you had to say to them, hey, here's my goat. You know, or here's, here's Billy, my goat, my, my prize goat, and I'm going to give this to God and so that God and I can be right. And you have to give the goat to another human who is somehow sacred, and that human will sacrifice on your behalf to God. And, and this was not God's all-time plan. This is not what God, the way God wanted to interact with humans. The temple model is about sacred places. It's about places, churches, and buildings where people would have to go. And you know what? There's some of that left over here. People say things like this. Well, this is the place of God. This is the house of God. The truth is, the New Testament came in to say, no, it's not. You are the house of God now. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the house of God. This is a house of houses. (laughs) This is like a place where the houses come to worship. So it is not the house of God. This is not a temple in that way. You are now the temple of God. 
But at that point, you had to go to a sacred place. You had sacred texts. That was, you had these writings that we now call the Bible. They had these writings that were so sacred that people would spend their entire lives memorizing them. And little boys would, uh, would in, the, in the culture, would memorize big, big chunks of text. And, and that's still left over in our current culture. You know, and there, there's this memorization of Scripture that somehow makes Christians feel better about themselves in the long run. They, they don't live it, but they like to just regurgitate it. And my, my son and daughter go to a Christian school, and um, every now and then they'll do this, and they, they call it a, a memorized Scripture. I call it a regurgitation. It's basically, a, you know, I've memorized this thing, and it's good to keep that in my heart. And it's not a bad thing to memorize Scripture, but the truth is it can be bad if you think that's the end. And so my son is, is uh, in, you know, in, in kindergarten and can, can tell you Luke chapter 2 in its entirety, can recite every single word, can tell you where the periods are and everything, and that's beautiful, and it's cute, and at Christmas it's really neat, it gives you a little heart tug. But the truth is, he doesn't know who Caesar Augustus was, and he doesn't even know what a census is. And the, tr- the same is true of us, if all we do is memorize these things. And then there were these sacred men at this point in history. These men, and they were always men, because women were oppressed. But they were always men who were sacred, and you had to take something to them. In fact, there's still a little bit of that left in our culture. In this place, there's still people who want to call me Brother John, or want to say somehow you're Pastor John, or you are, you're Reverend. There's there very little of that left, but some people still call me Reverend, which is just, I just have to start laughing. There's nothing reverend about me. There's nothing set apart about me in that way that is different than you. But there's this leftover feeling that the guy who's standing up front must somehow be sacred. And then it led to this superstition in people. That if I, and and this is left in some of us too, that somehow I got to win God's favor by doing some little things. So if I do some little things, then maybe God will, uh, you know, throw the dice my way and the, the chips will fall a little bit better for me. That is a temple model of thinking. And Jesus came to say, I got a better way. And it wasn't, it wasn't temple model 2.0 that Jesus was bringing in. It was a whole abandonment of that kind of thought. And Jesus said, I got something different. Next slide. Here's what Jesus said. He said, my model looks different. It is a relationship with God. Now, wait a minute. And people would go, wait a minute, Jesus. What do you mean with God? Because what happened to that sacred man that I have to bring my billy goat to, to in order to get? Jesus says, no more. Now it's be- directly between you and God. Yeah, but don't I have to go to church and listen to John every week in order to be close to God? No. No, now it's between you and God. It's a great idea to go listen to John every week. It's a good idea to go to church every week. But that's not the relationship between you and God. What God wants most is this relationship. And then Jesus says, I have a new command. And this was amazing. Because the, 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 the New Testament, or the Old Testament, is full of commands. I mean, all kinds of commands, and you've heard a lot of them. In fact, a lot of religious people like to cling on to these things they hear in the Bible. And they like to hold on to them and then like to hold people to them who don't even believe them, by the way. They like to say, you should do this because the Bible says it. And the person says, well, I don't believe what the Bible says. And you go, well, you should. You know, like somehow that's going to convince them. And the truth is, that's never the intent God had for the Bible in a minute. We're going to talk about that. Jesus said, I have a new command. It doesn't have anything to do with what you eat. It doesn't have anything to do with what you wear. It doesn't have anything to do with how many times a week you go to church or how early you get up and read your Bible. This new command I have is 100% about love. 100%. Jesus starts to tell stories that sound like the one I did on the stool just now where I just said, you know what makes me mad? 
when people treat my, my kids bad. Jesus said, you know what makes God mad? It's not missing church. What makes God mad is when you treat his people, his children, wrong. Jesus said, I've got a new command. You love everybody. Yeah, but Jesus, what about the people that oppress you? Everybody. You know what it means? It means Republicans, you love the people on your left. It means Democrats, you love the people on your right. It means racists, you figure it out. Get it out of your life and love the people you hate. Jesus said, I got a new command. He said, I have a new ethic. The new ethic doesn't have anything to do with religion. In fact, Jesus got maddest, not at the sinners. If you look at the New Testament in Jesus' life, he got maddest, not at the people who were messing up the rules. He got maddest at the people who were making up the rules. He got maddest at the religious people who thought they were close to God because they were obeying the rules, but had totally missed the point of living on earth, and that was to love each other differently. Jesus had a new ethic, and then he created a new movement. He said, I want you to be a part of something. If you're living in Paragon, if you're living in Martinsville, whatever, wherever you're living right now, did you know that your point in life is not just to survive? Did you know that what Jesus created, if you're a Christian, what Jesus created is a movement that he wants you to be a part of? And every neighbor you come in contact with, every woman waitress, every man waiter, every stewardess on an airplane, every, every single person you come in contact with is an invitation for you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And it starts not with reciting the Bible at them like a weapon. It starts not with condemning or judging. It starts with flat love. I'm going to prove it this morning. Here it is. The problem is combining these two models. We've taken a little bit of the Jesus model and we have combined it with the temple model and combining these two models holds us back. Not just as Christians, but as human beings. It holds us back. Abandoning this temple model completely can be a game changer for you. And I know this can be confusing and you can tune me out. So I'm going to ask you to tune me back in for a minute and I'm going to speak your language and my language a little bit. Jeff Foxworthy. Anybody? Jeff Foxworthy? See, I knew, I knew it would wake you up here. You might be a redneck if. Well, I'm going to give you this morning, you might be a temple thinker if. Okay? And here's what I mean about this. If you feel more guilty about missing church than about treating someone terribly, you might be a temple thinker. You know what I mean? I hear it all the time. Boy, I've got to get back in church. What do you mean? Yeah, I've got to get back in church. I feel bad about being... And then I see what you wrote on Facebook. The truth is, temple thinkers think more about church than they think about the way they treat humans. God's kids. If you've tried to figure out how close you can get to sin without making God mad, you might be a temple thinker. You know how many times I get this question? Is it a sin if... Hey, is this a sin? Is this a... You know what you're asking? You're asking, how close can I get? How close can I get to the edge is that, is that a sin? Hey, well, how about this? This is what my kids used to do. Hey, Reese, I want you to stay on this side of the line in the car, in the back seat. London, I want you to stay on this side. And Reese would go as close as he could get. The, I'm not over the line. I'm not touching you. You know, he'd get into this. This is what a lot of Christians do with their relationship with God. Hey, is that a sin? How about that? And I get the question as a preacher. Hey, John, is it a sin if I... And the truth is, that's temple thinking. Like somehow God is more concerned with the rules in your life than with his kids that he put around you. 
and with you yourself. If you believe there's a ritual, this is a big one, if you believe there's a ritual that will make you right with God without being right with the people around you, you're thinking like a temple person. In, in other words, Jesus actually said this to, to his disciples. They were standing outside the temple one time, and Jesus said, if you've got a problem with somebody in your life, if you have messed over somebody or if they've messed over you, don't come to me. Don't come into the temple. Don't come into the church. Don't even come to God until you get that thing figured out. Jesus said it very explicitly, exactly what I said this morning. God cares about the way you treat his kids. And don't come in here acting like as long as I take communion or as long as I sign my name on something at church or as long as I do something in the children's ministry or clean the bathrooms, somehow that makes me okay with God when I'm not okay with the people he's put in my life. It's temple thinking. Next slide. Temple thinking always gravitates towards rules and rituals. Always gravitates towards rules and rituals. And at the heart of temple thinking is you. At the very heart of temple thinking is you. And here's what I mean by that. You say things like this. I need to get back in church. I need. I want. I gotta. And ooh, I am the center of everything I talk about when it comes to God. And here's the problem. You have, and and this is where I want to give you a break spiritually today. So if you don't hear anything, wake up for a second. If you don't hear anything else I said today, wake up for this. Jesus came to say, if you accept Jesus and the gift he gave you, you and God are good. Yeah, but what if I, you're good. Yeah, but John, what about the, you're good. And here's the thing. When you keep coming back to God and going, but God, what if I do this? He's going, you're good. What, do you not believe me? Do you not believe me? I said, we're good. So stop wasting your time trying to do little things to get right with God. Because now that you need to get better, do you, you got to try to try to live your life better? Obviously, that's the way we live our lives. But the truth is, if what you're doing is getting up every day in the morning, trying to stay right with God when you're already right with God, you're missing the point. Jesus taught That once you place your faith in Christ, you're fine with God and God is fine with you. So spending all of your time and energy trying to stay right with God is temple thinking. Now, I'm just going to stop there for a minute and ask you, what implications does that have for your life? Does that change the way you think about God just a little bit? Maybe some of you are going, well, you know what? I've never accepted Christ. I've never like, understood this whole thing. And maybe you're going, man, I need to get this done, and we can do that today. It's, most of you in this place have gone, I've done that, and I keep acting like I'm not forgiven. I keep acting like I've got to win God's favor in some way. Next slide. Here's some things Jesus said real quickly. It, it, one more slide there. Jesus says this in John chapter 15. My command My command. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. There are commands all over the Bible. What do you mean your command? Jesus said, my one command. What? My one command. Love each other as I loved you. Whew. Galatians 5, Paul says this. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And then he says later, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as 
yourself. Everything that was written in the Bible boils down to one thing. So you know what that means? You can stop asking the preacher this. Hey, where in the Bible does it say blah, 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 blah? Hey, where in the Bible does it say blah, 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 blah? Hey, is it a sin to blah, 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 blah? Because here's the thing about the Bible. It was never, ever intended to be an exhaustive list of all the things that you need to do to be right with God. It was one example after another of people who have either been right with God or haven't been right with God. And they are just examples. They're illustrations of what it means to be humans. The temple model always asks this question. What do I need to do to stay right with God? The Jesus model asks an entirely different question. Because the Jesus model says, I'm right with God. I don't have to ask that question anymore. The Jesus model asks this question, what does love require of me today? You know how hard it is to live like that? What's interesting is I'm going to be blamed and I've done, this has happened to me before, and I'm ready for it. I've seen it, and I'm ready for it. I'm going to be told that I'm watering down the message of Jesus, or the message of the Bible, because I've watered it all down to one thing, and that is just love people, and we'll just have a big old Woodstock hippie fest, okay, and we'll just love each other. And I've been told this before, and I'm ready for that conversation, because here's the thing about it. <laughs> the thing about this command from Jesus is it's much, much simpler than temple model, but it demands so much more of you. So you've got a place to hide if you're in the temple. Hey, I'm obeying the rules. I can treat my mom however I want to. I'm obeying the rules. I'm going to church every Sunday. I can do whatever I want to outside of that. It gives you a place to hide. The problem with the Jesus model is it sounds simple up front, but it is actually the most complicated way in human history to live your life. Because when you get up in the morning... You ask, what does love require of me today? When I hear my son at 4.30 in the morning go, Mom, my question is, what does love require of me? To pretend that I'm still asleep and let Risha deal with it? Or to get my big bottom out of bed and do something? It's a game changer. I'm telling you this morning, if you begin to live your life, the implications of this is a game changer for you. Here's what I mean by that. Next slide. What if, what if you started thinking about your life differently when it comes to the way you make choices? See, when it, when it comes to the temple model, you would say things like this. And I've heard Christians say this, and this is not a wrong thing to say, but it's, it's the wrong reason. People will say this. Why do, you, why, do you, why do you tell the truth? Why don't you just lie everywhere? Well, because the Bible says... You know what, in my life, I've changed my mind. I don't tell the truth anymore because the Bible told me not to lie. That's not why I tell the truth. And that's not why Jesus wants me to tell the truth. That's not what the Jesus model says. You know why I tell the truth? Because lying breaks the person I lied to. Because lying is me saying, you're not worth me being honest with. Lying hurts the person that is God's child sitting right in front of me. Not to mention what it does to me. So the reason I don't lie or the reason I try to pursue the truth at all costs is not because an ancient text told me it was against the law. It's because Jesus came and he said there's even a better reason 
not to lie to people. And that is, the human being that's sitting next to you is worth more than that. And if you can get up and say, I don't lie because love requires for me to tell the truth, it's a game changer for you. What about being generous? I have friends who give money because they feel guilty. I have friends that that take their tithe, and if you're not a church person, tithe is 10%. Take their tithe down to the penny to show that they can they give exactly what I was told to give. This is what you think that's what God wants? You think God needs your money? Now, I, this is real complicated, so I'll just make it real simple. The reason we're generous is not because the Bible says to be generous. It's because generosity helps the person we give to. It's not that complicated, is it? It's not about 10% and God said 10%. It's not about I'm generous because, the, because I get some back. By the way, there's a lot of Christians who believe that if I give, God will give back to me. And if I give $1, God will give me $10. And the truth is, if you're an American, you've already been given your $10 just by the fact that you're planted on U.S. soil and you can live the way you need to live and you've got freedom. So stop looking that way. The truth is, the reason you're generous is because it helps the human across from you. We don't gossip. And the reason we don't gossip isn't because the Bible tells us not to. It's not because it's bigger than that. It's even stronger than that. Jesus said, and you've heard Jesus say it. He said, I came to abolish the law. I came to forget the law. You know what that means? There is a better reason than rules. And the reason is the human sitting next to you. I don't gossip because it breaks people. Those of you who are in relationship outside of marriage right now, you know why you don't pressure your girlfriend into doing something sexually that she doesn't want to do? It's not because the Bible tells you to. Yeah, okay, well that only gets you so far. It's because the truth is, the reason Jesus doesn't want you to pressure your girlfriend sexually is because of you don't need to be the regret in her life. Undue pressure leads to regret. And the truth is, what God wants most from you is to ask, what does love require of me? Next slide. This is not watered down faith. The Jesus model is less complicated. It's less memorizing. It's less, oh, got to check that off and forgot to do that, and oh, God's going to be mad if I don't do that, and oh, don't, don't forget this and don't forget that. It's less that, but it is far more demanding. The question is, what does love require of you? And it sounds very simple. And those who have been Christians a long time who will, I know I'm going to get some questions about this and maybe some anger. And I'm going to tell you, it is this simple. It is this simple. This is what Jesus came for. To say to you, what does love require of you today? And it is simple, but when God answered this question, it cost him his son. When Jesus answered this question, it cost him his life. So you can call it simple. But it is the hardest thing on earth to do as a human. And if you answer that question on a daily basis, it's a game changer. Yesterday was Saturday. We call it Dadder Day in our house. And I know that sounds cute. But the truth is my Dadder Day is often full of Dad doing whatever he wants. It's not just about the kids getting to be with Dad. And I might throw them a bone every now and then and throw a football for a little bit and then I go do something in the garage that's me and then, then I invite Reese to come and, and help me. Man, you know what that means with a six-year-old. He watches and holds the flashlight. 
Now, he may, when he's 10, he may be doing it for me as bad as I am at this stuff. But as of right now, that's not what he wants to do. That's not quality time with him. That's not dadder day. So I got up yesterday, knowing I was going to stand up here today and say, what does love require of me? And I decided, what does love require of me on dadder day? I got so many things to do around here. And Reese woke up like he does on dadder day every week, hopeful that it'll be a real dadder day. That it'll be just, it'll just be about him in London, and it'll just be fun. And he woke up, and he's looking at me square in the eyes, right fresh early on Saturday morning, wondering which dad's going to wake up today. And when I opened my eyes, I thought of this sermon. What does love require of me? He said, Dad, what are we doing today? And I said, you tell me. And I'm going to tell you, it was probably the best Saturday I've had in months. Not, not because I made a good choice, not because I obeyed the rules that God had set before me. Those things weren't even a problem. I didn't even have to think about those things because I answered the question, and I don't do it all the time. I'm working on it. It was a game changer in my life to look at the human in front of me, who I love desperately, by the way, and say, what does love require of me now? Right, next slide. So, I don't have to draw the lines too close. What does love require of you today? And I don't, maybe the Reese wasn't a great illustration because Reese is somebody I desperately love. And what Jesus said was, I'm not asking you just to love the people you love. People who don't love God do that. That's easy. The question is, what about the people that don't agree with you? What about the people on the other side of the fence from you politically or religiously? I've heard some people say some things about people who don't believe what they believe about God. I've heard Christians talk about Arabs and about Muslims in a way that I believe would put God sitting where I stood at the beginning of this sermon. Saying, listen to me, Christians. You think I care that you went to church Sunday and sang a song when you're talking about my people? You're talking about Muslims this way and you think I care what you sang to me on Sunday? You've missed it. It's a game changer if you get this right. It'll change everything. I want to leave you with this this morning. Jesus said this, and it was an amazing thing to say to a bunch of religious people. This was, this was historical. Jesus said, hey, hey, all of you religious people and all of you who aren't religious, I want you to get on this hill, and I want to tell you what's going to happen at the end of time. He says this. Many of you have heard this before, and by the way, I want to give you a, one of those, uh, you ever see men in black and they have those glasses that the guys put on and then they shoot with the little pen and everybody forgets everything. If I had one of those this morning, I'd do that for all the Christians in the room right now who have heard this scripture before. Because you've heard it before, and I probably preached it before, and, and the truth is, we, we kind of de- get desensitized to it. I, pretend you've never heard this before. You've been flashy thinged, okay? You've never heard this before. Jesus says, when the Son of Man, that's him, When I come in all my glory and the angels with me, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So the way Jesus talked is he would stand on a mountain. My guess is there were sheep and goats in this big field because they were everywhere. And he probably points over to them and says, see the sheep and the goats? When, Jesus, when I come back in my glory, when I come back at the end of time, I'm going to think of people, I'm going to see people, and I'm going to see that they need to be separated by something. Because sin has separated us. He will put his sheep on his right and the goats on the left. 
And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Take what is owed to you. Now these people, the religious people would have gone, Yep, that's me, I'm the sheep. The religious people would have gone. And by the way, all of you unreligious people who aren't doing what I told you you should be doing, you need to pay attention because you guys are the goats. You're the goats and I'm the sheep. And they're already pointing. And Jesus continues. Look at this. Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. The religious people start going, When was, when was Jesus hungry? <laughs> Like, who didn't get Jesus fed? Because somebody needs to feed Jesus. He continues, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. It's like the people are starting to talk to each other now. Was Jesus ever a stranger? Do do you remember inviting Jesus in? Shh, shh, no, I don't know. I don't know what he's talking about. I indeed, I was in need of clothes and you clothed me. I was sick. Can Jesus get sick? Really? Jesus was sick? Like with the flu? Did you? I, I was sick, Jesus said. And you looked after me. John Grenier, this is his favorite piece of scripture. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. People around going, Jesus was in prison? I thought he was sinless. And you came to, I visit Jesus at church. He was in prison. And people start really confused about what Jesus is saying. So he furthers. Then the righteous, those who have followed the Jesus way, the Jesus model of life, answered him, Lord, when did we see you? You know how many Christian people, how many religious people I've heard in my life say, I just want to see Jesus. We have songs about it. We want to see you. We want to see you. We want to see you. And, and we even say, you know, I was at camp last week and it was like I could see Jesus. And I, I was at a, on a mission trip and it was like I could see Jesus. Jesus says, you want to see me? You want to see me? He said, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you, a stranger, and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison or going to visit you and the king will reply truly i tell you whatever you did that is action that is something you do that is generosity that is moving towards that is answering the question what does love require of me today whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did it for me it's what i said this morning i'm not even a good dad really i'm try- i'm working on it and i understand what jesus is saying here That when somebody does something for my kids, the people that I love most on this planet, when somebody does something for my kids, it's though they've done it for me personally. That's why you can treat me however you want to, but you treat my kids right, we're good. We're good. Because how you treat the people that I love most, it's like you're treating me that way. I had a friend of mine ask me this morning, haven't seen him since high school, reconnected recently, he said, how long are you going to be at this church? <laughs> and it's funny because I've been saying for nine years, well, I, I don't know when God's going to call me away from here. I assume they're going to have a real preacher at some point. These poor people need somebody to be a real preacher and make hospital calls and do the things, and I, don't, I can't do that, so God's going to eventually call me away from here. Nine years I've been saying that. And the truth is, I've been offered jobs in preaching. 
I have good jobs. What I would consider to be, used to consider to be a good job. I've been offered good money to preach other places. Wild dogs couldn't tear me from this place. And you know why? And, I, and it's not, I love you guys. I love you guys. And I, 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 but I know that our relationship would last if I left here. I, I love you guys. That's, I, I know it would be fun for me to say that's why I would stay. But the reason wild dogs couldn't tear me from this place is because this place answers the question. What does love require from us? You know what love requires? Feed the kids. You know what love requires? Pack them in the back of this place, even when it's loud and when it's hard and when the adults go, oh, it's my turn to serve. And it went, uh, that's what love requires. I, hear me really carefully this morning. What I'm doing on the stage today is not the real ministry in this place. Would you hear me there? I'm standing on the stage. This is the best job in the house on Sunday morning. The real job happens on Saturday mornings when, when Andy and Brenda pull their car in here and clean the toilets in this place. That's what love requires. Love requires my wife and her team back here serving these kids who, let me tell you, they're not easy. And you know that because most of them are yours. And take, take the ones that are a mess in your house and add 35 to them. That's what love requires. And let me tell you today, if you want to be religious i got a bunch of churches you can go to. But you won't find religion here. And it's why wild dogs couldn't tear me away. It's also why I don't believe I'm needed here. I, I don't believe it. Here's why I don't. I don't, believe, I don't believe for a second that if I left this place, God wouldn't qu- keep doing what he's doing because God is bigger than me. He's bigger than you. He is doing something big in this place, and he's going to do it with or without you and without me, and I'm just glad to be a part. And the reason he's going to do it is because he follows groups of human beings who answer the question, what does love require of me? Not what does church require of me? Not what do the rules require of me? Not what does my, my forefathers who built the church require of me? Not what, what does the bylaws require of me? What, do the, what does this require of me? What does love require of me today will, is a game changer. It will change your life. And when it changes your life, it will change your family. And when it changes your family, listen to this, it will change this town a hundred years from now somebody will say what happened i saw a picture of paragon the other day under a flood i saw a picture of paragon the other day and i saw in the newspaper that a hundred years ago it was the capital of meth in indiana and now it's the place where people go to get peace and hope and joy and somebody will say a church in the cornfield answered the question what does love require of me today I told you I had something to say today. What if we got this right today? What if you left this building today? As a human being, you just left this building today and and you didn't have that guilt of, I can't seem to be right with God and that whole this is all about me thing. And you just said, what does love require me? Every person you walk in front of today. What are the implications of that? I tried it yesterday, and let me tell you, this is a funny story. I tried it yesterday, and you, those of you who know me well know how much I hate my little wiener dog in our house. 
In fact, I don't have any problem with Republicans or Democrats. I don't have any problem with people who believe differently things. But something about that dog, ooh. And yesterday, I kept every time, and I'm preaching it, so i got to live it. And yesterday, every time I would uncover, I went over and talked to my neighbor. What does love require me? And I ended up praying with him. What does love require me? And this guy came by with his two girls. I never talked to him before. Love requires me. He's weird. He's really odd. Love requires that I go talk to this dude. And I ended up, I'm kind of weird, you know? And we fit really well together. And, And then the dog came up to me. And because I'd been asking the question all day, because I had a habit now, just from the morning, the dog came up, jumped on my lap, and normally I go, get off me, wiener dog. In my brain, even though he's not even a human, I said, what does love require of me? And I picked up that fat, stupid dog, and I put him in my lap. And Reese said, Dad, I love it when you love on bogey. <laughs> Habits will change you. Asking these questions on a daily basis will change you. And I'm asking you today, what would it look like for you? Band, you guys can come up. I'm almost done. Five more minutes and my wife's going to be mad. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something real quick. You can kind of take a deep breath. I know I hit you really hard with all this this morning. I, I want to I give you a spiritual truth this morning that maybe you've never heard before. Did you know... <laughs> Did you know that, it's a, that it is available and possible for you to be good with God forever? That is not good with God today until you mess up and then you've got to go back and you've got to talk to a priest or you've got to tell somebody. And I'm not, hitting, I'm not slamming on our Catholic friends because they've got a lot of things right, but I'm just saying this is what the Bible says in my mind and I, this is what Jesus said immediately when he got to earth, that you can be good with God perpetually. Some of you have never accepted Christ. You have never come to a place where you realize that. And some of you did it a long time ago. But every day since, you've been trying to get right with God again. And God's going, we're good. Now, answer the question that I put in your life from the beginning. What does love require? Maybe you just need to hear this morning. If you've given your life to Jesus, you and God are good. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have things to repent. It doesn't mean you don't have things to change. What it means is that you and God are good. And then this just gets really easy today. And also, real demanding. What does love require of you? I had a science teacher in high school. His name was Mr. Mitchell. He was my dad. (laughs) Best teacher I ever had, and that's objective. And he would say to the students at the end of biology class, for those of you who want to do the bare minimum today, Here's your homework for tomorrow. Write this down, bare minimum. And he'd say, for those of you who care about science, here's some things for you to do today. I used to love that, and I always wanted to please my dad. I wasn't a very good student. Still, not a very good student. But I love the thought that I actually care about this stuff. I'm not doing this as a bare minimum. I'm not here at church today because I think that somehow God's got a big cosmic attendance chart and I get a star next to my name. I'm not standing up here today because I feel like if I don't, I'm going to go to hell. I want to get better. 
I want the life and the peace that passes all understanding that Jesus talked about. The path to it answers this one question. What does love require of you today? So your homework, those of you who are Christians in this place, or Jesus followers, and just trying to figure out what's next for your life, your homework, if you care, if you want to get better, if you want a game changer in your life, your homework is start the practice thing on Saturdays with your family and the people you love and the wiener dogs you hate. But find the person that you hate the most. Find the individual that you have upset that's angered or has angered you. What does love require in that case? If you can answer those questions and if you can move towards that, it will change your life. It will change this community. I want you to think this week about God. I sat on this stool this morning so you would remember it. I told you a story about how when people hurt my kids, it hurts me. And when they help my kids, it helps me. That's what I want you to put in mind today, this week, about God. I give you a chance this morning to say to God this. If you're a Christian, say this to God. God, I know we're good. Help me answer the question. What does love require? If you're not a Christian today, I'm going to go right back to that corner. I'd love to talk to you more about what it means to be a Christ follower, what it means that God wants us to answer that question. And I'd love to get a chance to do life with you. Would you stand with us this morning?